Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is the show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with some fine public domain short stories for kids and adults. Stories you know you've read before, but have probably haven't heard in a good long while. Links to tonight's stories can be found in the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight's story, The Spectacles by Edgar Allan Poe. Many years ago, it was the fashion to ridicule the idea of love at first sight. But those who think, not less than those who feel deeply, have always advocated its existence. Modern discoveries indeed, and what may be termed ethical magnetism or magneto-aesthetics, render it probable that the most natural and Consequently, the truest and most intense of the human affections are those which arise in the heart as if by electric sympathy. In a word, that the brightest and most enduring of the cycle letters, in a word, that the brightest and most enduring of the cycle fetters are those which are riveted by a glance. The confession I am about to make will add another to the already almost innumerable instances of the truth of the position. My story requires that I be somewhat minute. I am still a very young man, not yet twenty-two years of age. My name at present is a very full and rather plebeian one, Simpson. I say at present for it is only lately that I have been so called, having legislatively adopted this surname within the last year in order to receive a large inheritance left me by a distant male relative, Adolphus Simpson, Esquire. The bequest was conditioned upon my taking the name of the fe- of the testator, the family, not Christian name. My Christian name is Napoleon Bonaparte, or... More properly, these are my first and middle appellations. I assume the name Simpson, with some reluctance, as in my true patronym, Freisert. I felt a very patronym pump. I felt a very pardonable pride, believing that I could trace a descent from the immortal author of the Chronicles. While on the subject of names, by the by, I may mention a singular coincidence of sound attending the names of some of my immediate predecessors. My father was a Monsieur Frassart of Paris. His wife, my mother, whom he married at fifteen, was a Mademoiselle Croissant, eldest daughter of Croissant the banker, whose wife, again, being only sixteen when married, was the eldest daughter of one Victor Voissard. Monsieur Voissard, very singularly, had married a lady of similar name, a Mademoiselle Voissard. She, too, was quite a child when married, and her mother also, Madame Voissard. 
was only fourteen when led to the altar. These early marriages are usual in France. Here, however, are Moissard, Voissard, Chrysard, and Froissard, all in the direct line of descent. My own name, though, as I say, became Simpson by act of legislature, and with so much repugnance on my part that at one period I actually hesitated about accepting the legacy with the useless and annoying proviso attached. As to personal endowments, I am by no means deficient. On the contrary, I believe that I am well made and possess what nine-tenths of the world would call a handsome face. In height, I am five foot eleven. My hair is black and curling. My nose is sufficiently good. My eyes are large and gray, and although, in fact, they are weak, a very inconvenient degree, still no defect in this regard, would be suspected from their appearance. The weakness itself, however, has always much annoyed me, and I have resorted to every remedy, short of wearing glasses. Being youthful and good-looking, I naturally dislike these, and have resolutely refused to employ them. I know nothing, indeed, which so disfigures the countenance of a young person, or so impasses, or so impresses every feature with an air of demureness, if not altogether of sanctimoniousness and of age. An eyeglass, on the other hand, as a savior, as a savor of downright foppery and affectation. I have hitherto managed as well as I could without either, but something too much of these merely personal details, which, after all, are of little importance. I will content myself with saying, in addition, that my temperament is sanguine, rash, ardent, enthusiastic, and that all my life I have been a devoted admirer of the women. One night last winter I entered a box at the P. Theatre in company with a friend, Mr. Talbot. It was an opera night, and the bills presented a very rare attraction, so that the house was excessively crowded. We were in time, however, to obtain the front seats, which had been reserved for us, and into which, with some little difficulty, we elbowed our way. For two hours, my companion, who was a musical fanatico, gave his undivided attention to the stage, and in the meantime, I amused myself by observing the audience, which consisted in chief part of the very elite of the city. Having satisfied myself upon this point, I was about turning my eyes to the prima donna, when they were arrested and riveted by a figure in one of the private boxes, which had escaped my observation. If I live a thousand years, I can never forget the intense emotion with which I regarded this figure. It was that of a female, the most exquisite I had ever beheld. The face was so far turned towards the stage that for some minutes I could not obtain a view of it. But the form was divine. No other word can sufficiently express its magnificent proportion and even the term define seems ridiculously feeble as I write it. 
the magic of a lovely form and woman, the necromancy of female gracefulness, was always a power which I had found it impossible to resist. But here was grace personified, incarnate, the beau ideal of my wildest and most enthusiastic visions. The figure, almost all of which the construction of the box permitted to be seen, was somewhat above the medium height and nearly approached, without positively reaching the majestic. Its perfect fullness and tournure were delicious. The head, of which only the back was visible, rivaled in outline that of the Greek psyche, and was rather displayed than concealed by an elegant cap of gauze Ariane, which put me in mind of the eventum textilum of Aquilius. The right arm hung over the balustrade of the box and thrilled every nerve of my frame with its exquisite symmetry. Its upper portion was draperied by the one of the loose open sleeves now in fashion. This extended but little below the elbow. Beneath it was worn and under one of some frail material, close-fitting, and terminated by a cuff of rich lace, which fell gracefully over the top of the hand, feeling only the delicate fingers, upon which of those sparkled a diamond ring, which I had once saw was of extraordinary value. The admirable roundness of the wrist was well set off by a bracelet which encircled it, and which was ornamented and clasped by a magnificent ignette of jewels telling, in words that could not be mistaken, at once of the wealth and fastidious taste of the wearer. I gazed at this queenly apparition for at least half an hour, as if I had been suddenly converted to stone, and during this period I felt the full force and truth of all that has been said or sung concerning love at first sight. My feelings were totally different from any which I had hitherto experienced in the presence of even the most celebrated specimens of female loveliness. An unaccountable and what I am compelled to consider a magnetic sympathy of soul for soul seemed to rivet, and not only my vision, but my whole powers of thought and feeling upon the admirable object before me. I saw, I felt, I knew that I was deeply, madly, irrevocably in love. This even before seeing the face of the person beloved, so intense indeed was the passion that consumed me, that I was, that I really believed it would have received little, if any, abatement, and the features yet unseen proved of merely ordinary character. So anomalous is the nature of the only true love, of the love at first sight, and so little really dependent is it upon the external conditions which only seem to create and control it. While I was thus wrapped in admiration of this lovely vision, a sudden disturbance among the audience caused her to turn her head partially towards me, so that I beheld the entire profile of the face. Its beauty even exceeded my anticipations. And yet, there was something about it which disappointed me without my being able to tell exactly what it was. I said disappointed, but this is not altogether the word. 
my sentiments were at once quieted and exalted. They partook less of transport and more of calm enthusiasm of enthusiastic repose. This state of feeling arose, perhaps, from the Madonna-like and matronly air of the face, and yet I at once understood that it could not have arisen entirely from this. There was something else, some mystery which I could not develop, some expression about the countenance which slightly disturbed me while it greatly heightened my interest. In fact, I was just in that condition of mind which prepares a young and susceptible man for any active extravagance. Had the lady been alone, I should undoubtedly have entered her box and accosted her at all hazards. But fortunately, she was attended by two companions, a gentleman and a strikingly beautiful woman, to all appearance a few years younger than herself. I revolved in my mind a thousand schemes by which I might obtain, hereafter, an introduction to the elder lady, or, for the present at all events, a more distinct view of her beauty. I would have removed my position to one near her own, but the crowded state of the theater rendered this impossible, and the stern decrees of fashion had, of late, imperatively prohibited the use of the upper glass in a case such as this. Even had I been so fortunate as to have one with me, but I had not, and was thus in despair. At length, I bethought me of applying to my companion. Talbot, I said, you have an opera glass, let me have it. An opera glass? No, what do you suppose I would be doing with an opera glass? Here he turned impatiently toward the stage. But Talbot, I continued, pulling him by the shoulder, listen to me, will you? Do you see the stage box? There. No, 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 the next. Do you ever behold as lovely a woman? She is very beautiful, no doubt, he said. I wonder who can she be? Why, in the name of all that is angelic, don't you know who she is? Not to know her argues yourself unknown. She is the celebrated Madame Lalande. The beauty of the day par excellence and the talk of the whole town. Immensely wealthy, too. A widow and a great match has just arrived from Paris. Do you know her? Yes, I have the honor. Will you introduce me? Assuredly, with the greatest pleasure. When shall it be? Tomorrow at one. I will call upon you at B's. Very good. And now, do hold your tongue if you can. In this latter respect, I was forced to take Talbot's advice, for he remained obstinately deaf to every further question or suggestion, and occupied himself exclusively for the rest of the evening with what was transacting upon the stage. In the meantime, I kept my eyes riveted on Madame Lalande, and at length had the good fortune to obtain a full front view of her face. It was exquisitely lovely. This, of course, my heart had told me before, even 
had not Talbot fully satisfied me upon the point. But still the unintelligible something disturbed me. I finally concluded that my senses were impressed by a certain air of gravity, sadness, or still more properly, of weariness, which took something from the youth and freshness of the countenance, only to endow it with a seraphic tenderness and majesty, and thus, of course, to my enthusiastic and romantic temperament, and an interest tenfold. While I thus feasted my eyes, I perceived at last, to my great trepidation, by an almost imperceptible start on the part of the lady, that she had become suddenly aware of the intensity of my gaze. Still, I was absolutely fascinated and could not withdraw it, even for an instant. She turned aside her face and Again, I saw only the chiseled contour of the back portion of her head. After some minutes, as if urged by curiosity to see if I was still looking, she gradually brought her face again around and again encountered my burning gaze. Her large dark eyes fell instantly, and a deep blush mantled her cheek. But what was my astonishment at perceiving that she not only did not a second time avert her head, but that she actually took from her girdle a double eyeglass, elevated it, adjusted it, and then regarded me through it intently and deliberately for the space of several minutes. Had a thunderbolt fallen at my feet, I could not have been more thoroughly astounded, astounded only, not offended or disgusted in the slightest degree, although an action so bold in any other woman would have been likely to offend or disgust. But the whole thing was done with so much quietude, so much nonchalance, so much repose, so evident an air of the highest breeding, in short, that nothing of more effrontery was perceptible, and my sole sentiments were those of admiration and surprise. I observed that upon our first elevation of the glass. I observed that, upon her first elevation of the glass, she had seemed satisfied with a momentary inspection of my person, and was withdrawing the instrument when, as if struck by a second thought, she resumed it, and so continued to regard me with fixed attention for the space of several minutes, for five minutes at the very least, I'm sure. This action, so remarkable in an American theater, attracted very general observation and gave rise to an indefinite movement, or buzz, among the audience, which for a moment filled me with confusion but produced no visible effect upon the countenance of Madame Lalande. Having satisfied her curiosity, if such it was, she dropped the glass and quietly gave her attention again to the stage, her profile now being turned towards myself, as before. I continued to watch her unendingly, unremittingly, although I was fully conscious of my rudeness in so doing. Presently I saw the head slowly and slightly change its position, and soon I became convinced that the lady... 
while pretending to look at the stage was, in fact, attentively regarding myself. It is needless to say what effect this conduct on the part of so fascinating a woman had upon my excitable mind. Having thus scrutinized me for perhaps a quarter of an hour, the fair object of my passion addressed the gentleman who attended her, and while she spoke, I saw distinctly by the glances of both that the conversation had reference to myself. Upon its conclusion, Madame Lalande again turned toward the stage, and for a few minutes seemed absorbed in the performance. At the expiration of this period, however, I was thrown into an extremity of agitation by seeing her unfold, for the second time, the eyeglass which hung at her side, fully confront me as before, and, disregarding the renewed buzz of the audience, survey me from head to foot with the same miraculous composure that had previously so delighted and founded my soul. This extraordinary behavior, by throwing me into a perfect fever of excitement, into an absolute delirium of love, served rather to embolden than to disconcert me. In the mad intensity of my devotion, I forgot everything but the presence and the majestic loveliness of the vision which confronted my gaze. Watching my opportunity then, when I thought the audience were fully engaged with the opera, I at length caught the eyes of Madame Lalande, and upon the instant made a slight but unmistakable bow. She blushed very deeply, then averted her eyes, then slowly and cautiously looked around, apparently to see if my rash action had been noticed, then leaned over toward the gentleman who sat by her side. I now felt a burning sense of the impropriety I committed, expected nothing less than instant exposure, while a vision of pistols upon the morrow floated rapidly and uncomfortably through my brain. I was greatly and immediately relieved, however, when I saw the lady merely hand the gentleman a playbill without speaking, but the reader may form some feeble conception of my astonishment of my profound amazement, my delirious bewilderment of heart and soul, when instantly afterward, having again glanced furtively around, she allowed her bright eyes to set fully and steadily upon my own, and then with a faint smile, disclosing a bright line of her pearly teeth, made two distinct, pointed, and unequivocal affirmative inclinations of the head. It is useless, of course, to dwell upon my joy, upon my transport, upon my illimitable ecstasy of heart. If ever man was mad with excess of happiness, it was me at that moment. I loved. This was my first love. So I felt it to be. It was love supreme and describable. It was love at first sight. First sight, too. It had been appreciated and returned. Yes, returned. How and why should I doubt it for an instant? What other construction could I possibly put upon such conduct on the part of a lady so beautiful, so wealthy, evidently so accomplished, of so high breeding, of so lofty a position in society, 
in every regard so entirely respectable as I felt assured was Madame Lalonde. Yes, she loved me. She returned the enthusiasm of my love with an enthusiasm as blind, as uncompromising, as unself, as uncompromising, as uncalculating, as abandoned, and as utterly unbounded as my own. These delicious fancies and reflections, however, were now interrupted by the falling of the drop curtain. The audience arose, and the usual tumult immediately supervened. Quitting Talbot abruptly, I made every effort to force my way into closer proximity with Madame Lalande. Having failed this, on account of the crowd, I at length gave up the chase and bent my steps homeward, consoling myself for my disappointment in not having been able to touch even the hem of her robe. By the reflection that I should be introduced by Talbot in due form, Upon the morrow. That's all the story you get tonight. We'll see what happens on our next episode. Do you want more? Do you have a story you'd like me to read? Email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. New episodes release every Monday to Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Select episodes are available to view online at twitch.tv slash bigvoicej. Thanks so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)